Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He was a son of David in an impossible situation. Living 300 years after King David, the task of governing the southern kingdom of Judah fell to him. Ahaz was king. And as king of God's people, he was God's representative on earth. He was the under-shepherd of God's people. He was the steward of all of God's promises of salvation from the days of Abraham until that day. These promises that were promises not only for Israel, but for the entire world. But unfortunately, like so many of the kings in his family, Ahaz was not faithful. Again, he did find himself in an impossible situation. All the odds were stacked against him. The the two kingdoms of Israel had already split. The northern kingdom had just aligned with another superpower in the region, the kingdom of Syria. And they decided to join forces and attack Ahaz, attack Judah and the capital of Jerusalem. And so Ahaz was afraid. Isaiah tells us what Ahaz's reaction was when he was informed Syria was in league with the northern kingdom of Israel. Ahaz's heart shook as the trees of the forest shake in the wind. But God was there for Ahaz. God told Ahaz, be be careful, be quiet, do not fear and do not let your heart be faint. In other words, close your mouth, Ahaz, and open your ears. Listen and hear that I, the Lord, am on your side. It's an amazing invitation that God gave Ahaz to believe. But Ahaz refused. And yet still, God was not done with him. God had Isaiah go to Ahaz again and say, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. We know we're not supposed to put the Lord our God to the test, but but what about when God invites us to? That's what he was doing for Ahaz. Name a sign, Ahaz. Name any sign in heaven or on earth, and I promise you, I will do it. But still, Ahaz told God no. And this wasn't Ahaz trying to be humble or pious or anything like that. This was Ahaz flat out rejecting God, choosing not to have faith in the God who was willing to do everything for him, even though Ahaz didn't deserve it. This was a slap in the face to God. And why? Why did Ahaz refuse God's sign and his invitation to believe in him? Well, elsewhere in scripture, it tells us why. It's because Ahaz had already spent time sizing up the situation. And out of the fear of the armies that were closing in on him, the armies that he was convinced would kill him and all of his people, Ahaz decided there was only one way to respond. Not to put his faith in God, but to put his faith in himself. And in his military alliances, Ahaz wanted to fight fire with fire. So if there's a massive army in front of you, then you need an even bigger army to defeat it. Ahaz made a covenant, not with God, but with the king of Assyria. 
Ahaz bribed him. He made sacrifices to their gods. He put all his trust and faith in a ruthless king and in a pagan, godless nation. But God's plans are not so easily thwarted. And God is not subject to human armies and and human powers. God's sign, the sign that Ahaz refused to ask for, it came regardless of Ahaz's faith or lack of faith. But when the sign was announced by Isaiah, instead of it being a sign of blessing for Ahaz, as God intended, it instead was a sign of judgment and destruction. Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you must weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And so God would be with Ahaz, all right. But because of his lack of faith, God would be with him not to save him. Rather, God would be with Ahaz and with Judah to judge them for their gross idolatry, for their sin, and for their utter lack of faith. In essence, God told Ahaz, you want Assyria to protect you? Fine, I'll allow Assyria to protect you. And they did. They defeated the northern kingdom of Israel and they defeated Syria. But what do you think they did once they defeated all of Judah's enemies? They turned their attention to Judah. They went to the city of Jerusalem and they attacked. And God allowed that very army that Ahaz had put all of his trust in for protection to all but destroy him. But even despite all that, despite the lack of faith shown by Judah, God was still Faithful, He was still going to preserve a remnant of his people so that they might receive his sign. The sign that he intended for mercy and grace. The sign that Ahaz refused. God would still send the sign of Emmanuel. God with us. Fast forward about 700 years. And what do we find? Well, we find another son of David in, an, in another impossible situation. We find Joseph. Except this son of David was no king. He had likely heard about all of his ancestors, all the kings and under-shepherds in his family tree. But he also had heard about all of their faithlessness and failures He had no reason to boast in his lineage except maybe a couple good apples like David or Hezekiah or Josiah. But the rest, not so much. And Joseph knew that that was ultimately why Israel was the way that they were in his day. Having been conquered and then taken into exile and now under control of yet another foreign king, Caesar and the Romans. And yet, there was still that promise from God. And Joseph and a remnant of the faithful few still believed in God's promise. They knew that God had promised to save his people through the line of David. They just didn't know how or when. 
And Joseph certainly wouldn't have imagined that he would have anything to do with it. But Joseph was a faithful steward of God's promises of salvation. He believed in God. And that's not insignificant, especially given his situation. Again, Joseph found himself in an impossible situation. All the odds were stacked against him in his life. He had had plans to wed Mary, to start a family, to earn his living as an honest, hardworking carpenter, to live a quiet, peaceful life in Galilee. But then one day his plans were shattered. His betrothed was pregnant and and not by him. And that meant roughly one of two things. Either people were going to assume that the child was his, and so he was a scoundrel with no honor who had no respect for Mary or God's institution of marriage. Or people were going to assume that the child wasn't his, and if he went through with the marriage, he was still a scoundrel with no honor because he had no respect for himself. But Joseph was faithful. And so his faith led him to act justly and righteously toward Mary. And so even though he was afraid, afraid to take Mary as his wife, he had a merciful plan to simply divorce her quietly instead of letting her name be dragged through the court of public opinion. But God had an even more gracious plan in mind. God came to Joseph through an angel and said to him, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so once again, Jesus, excuse me, God was offering a son of David an amazing invitation to believe in him. But that's not all. God also gives Joseph a sign and not just any sign but a very specific sign, a sign that had been previously rejected by his ancestor Ahaz. It was the sign of Emmanuel, God with us. And this Emmanuel would be a child who would be both God and man. He would be the incarnate God born of Mary and cared for and protected by Joseph. The angel told him, she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, which means the Lord saves Because he will save his people from their sins. The sign of Emmanuel, God with us, was for the second time given to the house of David. But this time not in an act of judgment, but rather in an act of God's gracious plan of salvation. And how did Joseph respond? What did Joseph do that his ancestor Ahaz failed to do? Joseph received that word, and he believed, and he obeyed. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. He called him the Lord saves. Now, it's not as if God was asking only a little from Joseph. Consider his newfound mission to take care of God's own incarnate son, 
to protect him and his mother, to guard them from gossip and public shame, to provide for all of their needs, even when Mary's labor started far away from home, to outwit an evil king, to find a way to support his family in faraway Egypt, living as refugees, and then slowly and carefully and quietly to reinsert that family into Galilee again, making no noise, attracting no enemies, and to go on raising the Messiah in a forgotten backwater region of the Roman Empire. God was asking a lot of this son of David. God was asking the impossible, you might say. But Joseph was willing to do it with God's help. And why? Why was Joseph willing to do all this? It was because he had faith in the son of of David, Jesus Christ, as the fulfillment of all of God's salvation promises. And as hard as his life was now, Joseph received something of incomparable value in return for all that God was asking him to do. In fact, it paled in comparison. Joseph received Jesus, the one who would indeed save God's people, and the one who would save him as well. Jesus, after all, was Joseph's savior from all of his sins. And so in light of all of this today, we consider our own lives. We aren't sons of David like Ahaz and Joseph were, but we are sons and daughters of the king. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and that makes us children of our Heavenly Father. And we too find ourselves in an impossible situation. No, we don't have armies bearing down on us, nor do we find ourselves being called upon to parent the Son of God. But we are every day impossibly trapped by forces we ourselves could never overcome. Every day we are burdened by our sin, we are assaulted by the devil, and in the end we are subject to the wages of sin, which is eternal death. And in the face of all that, we too might be tempted to be afraid. What in your life tempts you to be afraid? What tempts you to begin to to put your trust in in yourself, in, in others, or in the things of this world instead of in God. It could be a, a financial situation. It could be a sickness or a disease. It could be the well-being of a, of a loved one or family member. It could be your future. It could be the future of those around you. It could even be something coming up this week, this holiday season. Maybe you're a person who's not feeling the usual holiday cheer and happiness, but instead you're realizing you're having to come face to face with certain sadness or grief or loneliness. When we come up against these things, whether they are things outside of ourselves or the sinful nature within ourselves, we are often tempted to try to turn inward to fix them ourselves. But you see, we aren't called upon to be the ones who fix things. We aren't called upon to to try to fix this world, and we aren't called upon to fix ourselves. We are called, just like Joseph, 
to be faithful stewards of a promise. A promise of a God who is Emmanuel, God with us. And he, and he alone, is the one who fixes us. In one week we will celebrate Christmas, the birth of God's Son. The fulfillment of that prophecy God gave to Judah through Isaiah 2,700 years ago. The fulfillment that Joseph got to see with his very own eyes in the birth of Jesus. Jesus, whose name means the Lord saves. And by his death on the cross, Jesus saves us from all of our sins. And by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus saves us from eternal death. And by his promise to come again on the last day, Jesus will save us from an eternity of loneliness. On that day when he will come again to fix everything in this world, including us. Jesus is and forever will be Emmanuel, God with us. And so until that day, we are stewards. We are the bearers of God's promise into this world and into our own lives. God's promise can't help but bring the good news of light and salvation to otherwise impossible situations. But it's never we who are the ones fixing things. Our faith is not in ourselves, nor is it in the things of this world. It's always in Jesus. And Jesus may lead us down paths we might never expect. Down paths, honestly, that we would never choose for ourselves. Just ask Joseph how well his life went according to his original plans. But there's always one thing that you can be sure of. No matter which way God is leading you, And that is that Jesus is always with you. He is still drawing close to you as your Emmanuel, as God with you. Not only did Jesus come once to save you from your sins, and not only is Jesus coming again to save you from eternal death, but Jesus is still drawing close to you today as he does every day. Not through a prophet, not through an angel, but through his very own presence Every time you hear his word, he is there. Every time you receive his sacraments, he is there. Jesus is right now present with you and with me. He is forgiving you all of your sins. He is strengthening you in body and soul. He is giving you the courage to bring his light into this sin-darkened world. And that is what Christmas is all about. That God has... And that God always will fulfill each and every one of his promises in Jesus Christ. The child who was once born of a virgin and laid in a manger is Emmanuel, God with us, God for us, and God who saves us from sin and death and anything else that would ever keep us apart from him. This Jesus is yours, and you are his, in his name. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.